0: week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Grand Slam by Spider Bait. Just a very strange record, a very strange band.
1: Almost every song that she sings, I marked as one I would keep.
0: That's the kind of sound that it gets really grating and irritating.
1: They knew what they were doing when they made this record, I'll just say that. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Menichi, and joining me, as always, Mr. Jason Ziak j we're on episode 149 getting close to the end of season three and we have for the first time in quite a while a requested review this one comes to us from we, yeah we uh this one comes to us from uh the great land down under australia I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a mistake on, or I'm going to make a mispronunciation on the last name here, so I apologize, Kim. It's Kim Bui, B-U-I, Bui. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I should have emailed and said, Kim, how do you pronounce your name? Uh, but I didn't email him, and I apologize, Kim, for screwing that up. So, Kim suggested. Nice work. Yeah, I know. I didn't do my due diligence, so I don't. that does not bode well. Um, <clears throat> Kim suggested a band from Australia called Spider Bait. Jay, were you like me, completely and totally unfamiliar with the band called Spider Bait?
0: <laughs> yeah, completely. I kept wanting to say it's Spider Bite. You know, well, like in my head.
1: Here's the thing: is that this band actually went through some names before landing on Spider Bait. Uh, one of them, I believe, was like Spider Baby or Spider Babies, um, but. Spider Bite was not one of those names. So maybe that should have been suggested at some point. But nope, Spider Bait. And he suggested their album, Grand Slam. So we're going to get into Grand Slam after we do some History of the Band.
0: History of the Band.
1: So Spider Bait Formed in Finley, New South Wales, Australia, in 1989 by bassist Janet English, singer and drummer Mark Maher and or Maher or Mar because it's like Bill Mar M A H uh, E R, and then guitarist Damien Witty. The following year after forming, they moved to Melbourne and they signed to uh Go Records and released a single the following year, 1991, and then an EP. In 1992, they released their first album. Uh, I don't. This is going to be totally mispronounced. It's Shashava Gavlava. No, Shashava Glava. <laughs> was released in 1993. Okay. Two years later, they signed to Polydor Records, and that year they released their second album, The Unfinished Spani- Spanish Galleon of Finley Lake. It was in 1995. A year later, Ivy and the Big Apples their third album was released three years later we get grand slam released in 1999 that is the album we're reviewing two years after that their fifth album the flight of wally funk three years after that tonight all right released in 2004 and then the band nine years since their last release have reunited and are releasing uh, a new self-titled album this november uh, which you can uh, get on iTunes, I believe, if uh, you want to check it out. So, if, like Kim, you would like to suggest an album for us to review, please visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Quite often when we get suggestions of a uh, Australian origin, it's Mr. Gavin Reed who provides them to us, Jay. In this instance, Gavin chimed in in our Facebook feedback and gave us uh, his opinion on Spider Bait. So, what do you think Gavin had to yeah. say?
0: Oh, jeez. I don't know. Uh, he probably liked some of it.
1: Well, this is what he This is what he wrote. What a surprising selection. Mm-hmm. There was a period in the early 90s where I saw these guys on a regular basis. There was a huge pent-up demand for the unfinished Galleon and Ivy and the Big Apple albums. And I think they had a number one song in the JJJ Hottest 100 I think that it's like the billboard uh, for, for Australia, which is a big deal, but by mm. the time this arrived, we'd all moved on, and I don't even really remember the songs on this, but the band can suffer from being a bit too jokey at times. Then he wrote, Good Luck, which when I hear that, I think of in uh, Taken, when the uh, Albanian says to uh, <laughs> Liam Neeson, Good Luck, over the phone, when he tells him that he would find him and he would kill him. <laughs> So, anyway, uh, Kim also provided some feedback. He said, this is my surprising selection. Grand Slam is one of my favorites. It's a messy mishmash of genres that is a little bit poppy and just puts me in a good mood. I like the crisp, clean distortion, the production, and the happy, sad lyrics. Looking forward to hearing what you think. It might be something a little bit different. And that's a good uh, segue into us reviewing the album. So, Jay... Spiderbait, you and I are both not familiar. Simple question. Is this one a grand slam for you, or did Spiderbait strike out?
0: So this is a weird record. Um, it, ju- it jumps genres for sure. It also has varying production. Um, and the format is interesting in that it's 17 songs, but none of which are more than, you know, three three minutes twenty seconds. Um, so it's kind of little appetizer sized songs on this record. It's almost like um, sometimes I feel like uh, somebody put the radio on in the 90s and is like just you know turning the dial left and right and picking different stations and <laughs> you know sitting on them for a couple for a minute. For the most part it's pop oriented. It's, I think it's best or I enjoy it the most when, um, their simpler power pop side comes out and there's a couple times where they divert. Well, the farthest diversions from that would be like, um, there, there's some songs on here that are like, I guess they're like trip hop or something. I don't, I don't know how you would describe them. They're kind of funky drum machine, chemical you know, brothers. Deep, yeah. Deep Slam. bass. <laughs> deep bass groove kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple, so there's there's several like that, but then there's a couple where they they do mix the two together um, a little bit um, to varying degrees of success. Um, but I kind of like, uh, you know, I, I got interested in the record about track three, the song Shazam. It has a very 70s uh, glam vibe, mm-hmm. almost like Slade or Bay City Rollers or T Rex or something like that.
1: I put those names down too.
0: Weird, uh, over-compressed, very dry, distorted guitar. It kind of kind of works in a weird way. I mean, it's not a mm-hmm. sound that I would normally think I would like, but um, I think because they're so pop-oriented, uh, it kind of comes off. And, and the vocal is very it, well. The vocal varies on these on the rock songs. The vocal tends to be pretty, pretty dry and, and pretty, you know. As well, so kind of it kind of works for me in a in a synth synth rock kind of um, way. Uh, Dinnertime, plastic, you know, tracks three through through five. Uh, probably when they're in there, like you know, pop rock, a um, little bit of a Red Cross thing going on from time to time. Um, when, when they're in that area, um, I got interested. Bessie's last journey. that's one of the tracks where it does get a little bit trippy kind of reminded me a little bit of Luscious Jackson Um, but it's still got a pretty decent hook and it doesn't go so far off the rails like some of the other more experimental songs where you know it's still you recognize the vocal and there's enough of the pop sensibilities there that it kind of holds together with with some of the other, other aspects of the record Daisy May—that's a song that kind of reminded me of the Eels when it comes in. Um, Wait, the the strumming part was—it reminded me of one of their songs—and um, got a pretty decent chorus on that. Um, then it, it goes into a little bit of wandering for me. White um, Trash Superstar—kind of a heavy riff, but it's not really that great of a song. Um, kind of a mix of the, the rock and trippy sounds. Buster, which is like a deep bass, like trip straight up keyboard trip hop thing um Mm -hmm. then you get into some really strange territory so by the time i get to how long not a terrible song but wow out of nowhere i mean it's like a 70s am jams or folk ballad basically you know
1: what it reminded me of it reminded me of billy corgan covering landslide
0: oh really yeah okay yeah i guess i could see especially that.
1: when he's going for the high notes it sounded like billy Corgan going yeah. for high notes yeah i could see that
0: just that but out of nowhere like what like because the the rest of the record you know up to that point is this very i don't know very um uh, produced almost processed i guess produced processed, not natural you know mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like no room sound nothing nothing real you know what i mean up until that song, and all of a sudden, up oh, here's an acoustic guitar, and it's all, like, folky. <laughs> it's like, what in the hell did this come from? And then, uh, you know, they, they kind of go back into gear, right? And they shift back into uh, kind of some fun, upbeat, you know, pop rock stuff. Um, Jelly Bean Drifter kind of reminded me of, like, a Supergrass song or something. Um, then King of Northern what in the hell is that? It's like a goof on heavy metal, I guess.
1: a goof because this band started out like a punk metal band
0: it's so weird
1: um well i'll get to that in my
0: so weird it's like uh, i I don't i don't know i I read it as like it kind of sounds like a parody of a monster magnet song or something I, i don't know it's just really strange like a heavy riff and then he's like doing this real like gravelly vocal or trying to do like a really guttural kind of gravelly vocal with it and like almost gene simmons ask or something um kind of making fun of, i think a little i'll, I'll let you get the lyrics but almost like making fun of like rock lyrics or something or macho machismo or something I, I don't know i don't know what's going on with that song and then uh acoustic instrumentals you know there's a some pop stuff you know the, the, the end of the record trails off for me a little bit Lickety Splits not bad because it's kind of got it's probably the only song on the record that it really sounds like a band it has a really good like kind of a garage bandy kind of energy to it um it doesn't sound um quite as mechanical as some of the other stuff does mm-hmm. um so just a very strange record a very strange band um a little bit like I was listening to you know all the demo tapes. Uh, you know, maybe somebody was like, um, you know, early 20s, late teenager, sort of all the demo tapes they made over the course of a year or two, like trying all different kinds of music and you know, recording direct into their four track and you know, just playing around with different sounds and doing and trying to find themselves musically. Uh, at, at times it kind of sounded like that to me, other times it just sounded like they were having fun. So it was kind of, I was really conflicted. You know what I mean? It it made sense to me in moments. And then in other moments, it just sort of seemed like they were grasping. Um, I don't know. So where did you come on 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 that spectrum?
1: Well, I want to make a weird comparison with this record. So everybody knows I'm a big Wilco fan and their second album being there, it's, unofficially has this like vibe of being like a a walk through the history of rock and roll there's a song that sounds like the Rolling Stones, there's a song that sounds like the Beach Boys, there's a song that sounds like um, the band, there's a song that sounds like you know there's The Replacements, there's all these songs that sort of like take you through uh, this pantheon of rock artists, Beatles so forth. I feel like this is almost a similar companion in the sense that a lot of these feel like takes on nineties music. Like you mentioned Lusis Jackson and the trip hop. And to me, Ultralight Track fifteen has a very brit pop feel, especially when you get to about two thirty in and they get to the chorus and it's super, super oasis sounding. Like his voice sounds like Liam Gallagher. Mm. Um to me that King of the Northern almost sounded like corrosion of conformity or something. Yeah. Like yeah. And there's a, there's super, a lot of supergrass on this record, a lot of supergrass influence, mm. a lot of blur. Um, there's a a bit of American, like you said, like power pop uh, going on, and I feel like they were kind of like taking a run through. Let's try how let's see how many different genres and how many different sounds from the '90s we can incorporate into one record, and kind of unify it in a weird way using this very processed uh production method and there's also you mentioned about the lyrics on king of the northern well on on glock and pop um there's references to i mean this was the album that followed up them having two very successful albums with hit singles on them and on glock and pop they're sort of basically saying they're taking shots at Bands that write the same record and the same songs over and over again. Basically, like we can keep make, writing the same songs if you want to just keep hearing the same songs. And I think that this is their attempt, attempt to like break out of what they were doing before of writing. Sort of, from what I've read, they started out as sort of like a punk metalish band, sort of like you know minute and a half long kind of thrashy songs, and then kind of refine that into like a very sugary pop sound. So bringing in some of these like heavier sounds, I think is them sort of like getting back to basics, what they were doing. Mm. Um, I don't know. This it really worked for me. Yeah, there's a lot of nonsense going on with the with the instrumentals and the trip hop and the what have you. And you could pare this down to like nine or ten songs, um, but I think you'd have an amazing nine or ten song record just of sheer energy and sort of focused pop songwriting. Um, I love Janet English's voice. It reminds mm-hmm. me of the best parts of like uh, when I hear like a Sahara Night, Hot Nights song, um, mm-hmm. or you know to go back to like '90s stuff like Letters to Cleo when that band was working or Veruca Salt. Or you know she just has like a really perfect pop female vocal. She's able to you know craft some pretty good melodies to go along with it. Um, it's really it's, high. Yeah. And yeah. that works really well when she's singing over a mid-range, you know, super distorted, but it's like distorted, but clean because there's no, cause it's so processed. Yeah. Uh, that works with her vocal.
0: They, um, they do. They do pull that off, which is not easy to do. No, not at all. It's usually like, that's the kind of sound that it gets really grating and irritating after you know, not very long, and it's also the hard, It's very hard to emote anything. We you know what that sound. It's just so unnatural sounding, metallic. That, you know, yeah, it just doesn't come off. It doesn't emote anything. But somehow, I don't know how, but they're able to kind of pull that off. It's uh, it's odd in that way.
1: And I I don't think that this record is meant to be, you know, dissected or digested other than being a pop record with some winks and nods here and there. Um, I think it's mostly, you know, kind of light overall in terms of its lyrical approach and whatnot. But I think they have a really good grasp of genre and in an odd way... I mean, the fact that there's a song... The fact that you have Glock and Pop, King of the Northern, and Lost in Adelaide all on the same album... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they could not find three more different sounds. And yet, thanks to the brevity of most of the tracks, they're able to keep it moving, and you kind of go with the flow. And it's like, well this weird sort of trip-hop drum and bass song doesn't necessarily work for me, but it's over already, so I can just go ahead and get on to this odd acoustic folk song, which is okay, but never mind, we're going to move on to this mid-tempo distorted vocal, you know, with with Janet singing. Uh, it's it's kind of insane. Um, it's almost like a compilation in, in of different bands, but it's yeah. really just one band doing a whole lot of different sounds that somehow they're able to cram together and make work. There is definitely a, towards the end of the record, you know, a bit of a fatigue going on It's because there's 17 songs, um, which is also a re-release of this record, which adds more songs, uh, like remixes and bonus oh, really? tracks and stuff. Yeah. Jeez. So I mean, I completely heard that when I was listening to it, you know, it's, it would be easy to take some of these pop songs and then remix them with, you know, different rhythm sections and, you know, do six minute long dance versions.
0: Yeah. So would you, would you find yourself, if you weren't reviewing this, you were just listening to this record, would you be skipping tracks or are they short enough that some of these interludes that you would be able to, you know, make it through them without itching to, to push the skip button?
1: If like I stumbled upon this, like on Spotify, which is where right. you know the record is, I just, if I had just stumbled upon it through some sort of recommendation or whatever, you know, using the Spotify recommendations. Um, I probably would have skipped around. I probably would have hit some of the songs and been like, "Man, that's okay. Um, and then stayed on the ones that are, you know, more attention-grabbing. Yeah. Um, her vocal draws me in pretty early. So anytime I hear her singing, I think I pretty much, in terms of I don't want to get to the end to quickly but i think almost every song that she sings i marked as one i would keep
0: yeah i, I like the male vocal too um the he uh, tends to do more voices I, if it's the same person i don't even know if it's the same. If there's one yes yeah, it's,
1: it's the drummer singing
0: okay so he does more voices you know he's got a couple different um styles he uses on this he even got a couple different like production techniques like at the first track he's like sounds super far away and then a couple tracks later on Shazam, he sounds, you know, drying up the middle. And then later on it does in fairly high. Like he can get his voice almost as high as hers or, you know, not quite that high, but in that range. And then he does the King of the Northern and he's like singing like Gene Simmons or Christian conformity or something. But, uh, you know, it, it's not like we've reviewed some. Some records in the past where there's two singers, and I think we both gravitate to the to the female vocal. And sometimes we're like, wish the guy wouldn't even sing. But I think in this case, you know, he's. He, I enjoy some of his songs. I guess the one thing that's kind of odd for me is when you got two singers like this, why don't I sing together more? Did I miss that, or I, I wasn't no. really hearing much singing together, which seemed like a really big missed opportunity to me?
1: Yeah, they definitely did not do that, uh, and there was. You know, that might just be a matter of the difficulty level of the song based on him playing drums and singing. Um, I don't know. Uh, or they might just write separately. That's yeah. entirely possible, too. Um, so, I mean, they from what I read, they started out, like, high school age playing together. So they grew up in, you know, I think... I read that she didn't really know how to play bass when they started, so she was basically learning to play bass, you know, back when the band formed. And they sort of started out at just playing in friends' living rooms and stuff like that, um, you know, like a random ACDC cover. You know, if they developed as three, uh, two distinct units in terms of songwriting, it's entirely possible they just don't, you know, sing on each other's songs or, you know, even contribute in terms of songwriting i don't know because i didn't have a chance to look at the songwriting credits for yeah. the record so i can't really tell you
0: yeah i just that. wish they would would have tried it <laughs> i think right it, in some cases that uh, it might have been very interesting to figure out how to do harmonies or at least do a back and forth you know i think it would have really been kind of pr- fairly special and i and i don't and i don't want to i know we've mentioned a lot of different bands of this they sound like and even gone as far as saying you know they kind of are I think you put it best, kind of almost jumping around the 90s in terms of, you know, maybe on purpose. But that said, I still think that they're pretty original sounding. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you can hear those influences, but the I guess the, the you hear it more in the songwriting. You don't necessarily hear it in the sound of the band. The sound of the band is pretty unique, um, particularly when they're in that, you know, a pop rock area with that super compressed dry guitar and her vocal. And when he's singing sort of in the middle or high range, you know, I think those songs don't, you wouldn't mistake them for anybody else. And uh, I think when they go in the trip hop slash trip hop rock hybrid, I think they become less original to me. I, you know, they could be in an, you can almost, They'd be an anonymous '90s band, you know, in, the, in those mm-hmm. moments. But I think the uh, the other part of the record, they're pretty successful in carving out their own little, their own sound.
1: Yeah, I could not think of another band that utilized this compressed, ultra metallic sounding guitar sound while still approaching it from like a pop sensibility.
0: Well, it's funny because if you look at, like, say, on Spotify, if you look at the, you know, the generic related artists tab, um, you know, one of the bands that they relate them to is Rammstein. And I <laughs> bet that's, you know, that might even be an algorithm, like, picking that. And I'm sure it's based on, you know, they're a band that uses that kind of guitar sound,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Super
0: compressed, straight in, no, no speakers, just directly into the soundboard kind of really harsh guitar sound obviously they make a completely different kind of style of music but right sonically that's an ingredient that you know both bands share and even spotify is picking up on that either through you know human editorial or some kind of algorithm that's listening to the songs and you know pulling that out um and the rest have, of the comparisons. go ahead
1: they must have some sort of uh distortion meter <laughs>
0: Well, it's like Pandora. I mean, if they have something like that where it's actually like breaking the music down and by tones and styles and, you know, time signatures and all that stuff, they mm-hmm. actually, you know, put some science behind that. You know, the Other bands they pull out are like Bloodhound Gang which make, and CKY, which makes me think of like the Facebook comments that were, what was it? Something about, was it Gavin that said they, they get a little goofy at times? Mm-hmm. A little too goofy? You know, so there's those bands, I would say, are, that are in that area then you've got crazy town <laughs> maybe that's the the trip hoppy slash you know attempt at pop kind of thing oh my god alien ant farm i'm not sure where that's coming from Go- that's they're just, goofy they're right, it was a yeah. goofy van. so there's some pretty oh, paul stanley what <laughs> paul stanley from kiss is one of the related artists okay Sure. And then there's there's uh, something called Mary Ho, which is basically, let's just say, Mary Ho, Grandma Marries Latin Rock, and it's a what looks like maybe a Japanese woman holding a Les Paul Jr. Like an older Japanese woman, probably in her 60s, that looks like a grandma and she's holding the TV yellow.
1: Is it because um, of the cartoon on the art artwork? Like it's like a, sort of like a Japanese
0: I don't know, maybe. Artwork. Let me take a listen to the record here.
1: Alright, you sam you sample some grandma's <laughs> whatever.
0: Uh, it sounds like guitar instrumental. Okay. Well Oh my god, dude, you gotta check this album cover out. It's amazing.
1: I will get to that. <laughs> Alright, Well, Mar-
0: Mary Ho H O.
1: Okay. Well that'll be on a future episode, possibly. When did that come out?
0: Uh two thousand
1: eight. Oh damn. Won't make it, won't make it into our in this into this particular podcast. Maybe in a future podcast that we develop that will uh, cover that particular album. Thank you for sending me the link. <laughs> that's sure what that problem. that's what that Skype sound was. It was Jay sending me the link <laughs> for Spotify. So Jay, let's get into the nitty gritty. Let's get into the album wrap up and worthy album, better EP, decent single. What's your rating?
0: Well, well, well. Let me pull up to the sidewalk and take a look. Whoa, I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So I got eight songs. Highlighted here is, is being ones I like. You could throw maybe one or two others in there and have a full record. I don't think there needs to be 17 songs on a, on a record. No. <laughs> Even if the songs are two minutes, you could still go with, uh, you know, 10. That's fine.
1: Not only Bob Pollard gets to make 17 song albums because they're all like a minute and a half long. Uh, I'm at nine songs that I was definite on, so I'm clearly at an album. And then there was probably like two or three more that I would have been okay with. They're necessarily set my heart aflutter, but they definitely are, you know, worthy of inclusion if uh, if I wanted to expand it even more. So was, this is a uh, this is a keeper for both of us. This might shock some people because you know it's it's a genre hopping overly produced overly compressed uh you know metallic sounding guitar odd pop uh with some trip hop elements yeah but it you know what they they knew what they were doing when they made this record i'll just say that like they they clearly set out to make a particular document and it, it works
0: and i'll make a comment here that i'm not quite sure if i can quite explain why but i'll just throw it out there If you look at their album covers on spotify at least you know three of the four Mm -hmm. they kind of have like um, a cute cartoony look one even kind of looks has like almost like an anime japanese anime kind of look to it Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that's what the that's fits the band like there's a weird almost like if you told me that this band was was japanese i might believe you like there's a weird like kind of twisted take on pop culture sound and and like vibe to them. Mm-hmm. I think the record kind of feels that way. And, you know, kind of in the, in the way that, I don't know, at least I perceive Japan's Jap- Japanese culture. Sometimes it's like a weird reflection back of, of, you know, like a weird different take on our culture. Um, it's it's kind of the same, same feeling. So I guess Australia is not that far from the japan so maybe that's where the correlation is there
1: i don't think so i think it's it's you know a couple hours by plane so i think that's uh that's a good observation so we want to thank kim for bringing this to us because uh this was a good one and i hope everybody's gonna go out like it's on spotify go check this record out if you've never heard of it if it's a, a a completely foreign uh Uh, Artist that uh, you're not familiar with, uh, definitely give this one a spin and tell us what you think. You can uh, also leave us some feedback over at uh, iTunes. And as I mentioned last week, uh, so this episode will be going up in November, but in the month of December, if you leave us some feedback on our iTunes page, we're going to take everybody who left feedback in the month of December and we're going to pick a listener suggestion we're going to pick a person to provide us with a free listener suggestion so you don't have to you don't hit our donation for that one so and of course we'll put that on the website for people who don't know yeah that's it thanks kim for making these making this suggestion spider bait grand slam thumbs up worthy album for both of us and uh that's it that's a wrap on this episode we'll be back next week with another Episode of Dig Me
0: Out.
1: Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.